This morning I'm going to continue my series. Uh, I started a series uh, a few weeks ago on the book of Galatians. In this series we've been looking at questions that Paul asks, uh, questions that he writes to the churches in Galatia. Questions like, hey, um, whose approval are you seeking? Are you seeking mine or the approval of men or the approval of God? Uh, what is the source of your righteousness? Does your righteousness come from faith or from works or some combination in between? Do you, do you really want to be in slavery again? Do you want to go back and be trapped again into slavery? And last week we looked at this question that Paul asked, uh, what happened to all of your joy? So this week I just want to continue in the questions. I'm going to jump right into Galatians chapter 5, read some verses And um, we're going to look at what the question is that's not on the screen yet. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. And again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law. You are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. He says, For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Verse 7. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you? to keep you from obeying the truth. Now, before I, 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 I preached too much on this, when I read these verses, there was a memory from my childhood that came back. Uh, one of the great movies that we've introduced our kids to, uh, 1985, I think it was released, um, Back to the Future. You know the premise of that movie? Like, Marty McFly is in that movie, and he's friends with Doc uh, Doc Brown, I think is his name, Emmett Brown, and, and Doc has created this time machine that, that needs 1.21 gigawatts of, of energy to propel the time machine. And he's stolen some plutonium from the Iranians. And, and, and so, so Michael J. Fox or Marty McFly, he jumps in that, that machine, that time machine to get away, the DeLorean, and he goes back to a point in time. Ironically, it was a pivotal point in his history. It was a time in which his parents met and they fell in love. They went to the enchantment at the sea dance and they danced for the first time and kissed. And the problem was that when he went back in time to this moment, just from the circumstances and everything else, um, things were compromised for his future. You know what I'm talking about? And so the whole goal was that his parents, uh, I think it was George and Jennifer, had to come together on the dance floor and dance and, and have their first kiss at the Enchantment of the Sea dance. And so I want to pick up in this moment of the story where they've, they've gone to the dance. All the things have happened with, with Biff and Manure and all the problems and, and aliens and whatever else that took place you know, in that movie. But, but all the things have come to place. Even though the guitar player, he jammed his thumb or cut his hand and he couldn't play. So, so Marty McFly, he's on the stage playing Earth Angel while his parents, you might have to pull down these lights so people can see this, are on the stage, um, uh, or, or they're on the dance floor. So I just want you to watch this. You've got to turn it up. For all you lovers out there, 
to kiss me? Hey, I don't know. Scram, it's fly. I'm cutting in. Hey, boy, you all right? I can't play. the clip right there and um, that's where we're supposed to stop by the way uh, the reality of this moment is is that George um, has allowed someone to cut in on in, in a moment that they didn't have the authority to be in and this what happened there at the end if you haven't seen the movie if you haven't I don't know where you've lived but um, if you haven't seen the movie he's fading out of existence because this moment was so significant in him being there. If they don't dance and they don't get together, he's not going to be, you know, because he's coming back to the future. And so that's what's happening right here. Paul, when he was writing to the churches in Galatia, he said, I'm, I'm watching this from afar. And when I left you, you guys were running a race. You were going a certain direction with the Lord. But now I'm hearing these reports of, of the arguments over circumcision, righteousness that comes those ways. And I'm just wondering, who cut in on you? Like, why are you giving someone authority to step in the race that you're supposed to be running with God? And we've looked at the, 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 the story in, in, um, in Galatians. Many of what Paul's questions are have taken us back to a point in history of Israel when they were coming out of Egypt. There's a lot of these questions that, for me, resonate with the history of Israel. And when we look at Israel's history, we see that they do have a significant cut-in problem. Question. Remember, we've talked about it. God had Egypt, or is Israel in slavery in Egypt. And he brought them out of Egypt to take them where? So the race marked out before Israel was to go to the promised land. I want to look at the season in the wilderness because Israel has a cut-in problem. With Israel, they have a problem on their race, on their journey of being cut in. Is this where I'm supposed to be? Uh, yes, by, by, by things, by situations. We looked at this one earlier. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand, in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat. We all ate the food we wanted, but you have brought us out in this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Israel was discontent with their circumstance. They were hungry and thirsty. They were struggling. They might have been hot. This was about 45 days, I'm guessing, in this 15th day of the second month that they've come out of Egypt, and they're now discontent. And what are they doing? As a discontent people... They're allowing what they're discontent about to cut in and cause them to change the race or the walk with God that they were supposed to be on. 
in that movie clip, that was one thing I wanted to bring out. When that clip end ended, did it seem as though either George or Jennifer were happy with the situation at hand? Neither one of them looked content with the one who cut in on them, the one who cut in on their moment. And so what's happening here, and we'll follow the Israelites through the wilderness this morning, and we'll see that they often let things interfere on the race or the journey that God is taking them on. We talk about being interfered on by discontent. We're going to go to Exodus chapter 24. Um, Moses has led the Israelites out, and um, remember he comes to Mount Sinai, and he goes up on the mountain and God begins to download some pretty cool things. There's this, there's this cloud that envelops the mountain. It looks like fire and, and he's up there. He goes back up there a couple times. In, verse, in chapter 24, it says, When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Moses entered the cloud, and as he went up on the mountain, he stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. 45 days is what passed from the moment that um, Israel grumbled and complained about what they were eating. And now Moses is gone for 45 days. Now look at what just took place. They watched Moses go up onto a mountain. I don't know about you, but I think this moment is going to last a little bit more than 40 days for me. They watched God's glory settle on Mount Sinai. They watched the cloud cover the mountain. And the Lord called to Moses in this cloud. They're witnessing all these things. But a few chapters down the way, because all we see next in the next eight chapters is God downloading his covenant on Moses and and all these things anyway. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, 40 days, So long, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. He gone. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what was handed to him. He made it into an idol, cast into the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow will be the festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early. They sacrificed burnt offerings, presented fellowship offerings, and afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. In 40 days they went from seeing the cloud of God's glory on Mount Sinai to producing false gods or false idols that they could worship Wondering what happened to Moses on the mountain. He was never coming back. What cut in on your race? What cut in on the race is that they weren't okay with waiting for Moses to come back. So they crafted a new God that would help them get to where God was leading them to go. This is a bad moment in the wilderness, right? This doesn't turn out too well for them. They all... He's sick and, you know, fun stuff happens after this. But we're just focusing on the moment that someone cut in. I find these two examples in the beginning of this so compelling. I mean, 45 days from bondage 
and slavery and we're allowing discontent to step in, to cut in. Forty days after this incredible moment, knowing Moses had told them he's been talking to God about this new covenant or this old covenant. Then We call it old covenant. It was new then. So that's why I say new covenant because um, it was really new to them because they'd never heard it before. Just like the new covenant was new because it wasn't the old one. Anyway, that's besides the point. Um, God was downloading all this on them. They knew that God was speaking to them, the presence of God, the direction of God, the one who'd been leading them. And in 40 days, In 40 days, false idols cut in on the race that God had intended for them. You continue to follow Israel in the wilderness. Now the people complained about their heart. What did they complain about? The people of God, let something cut in on their race right here. The people of God complained about their hardship in hearing the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then the fire from the Lord burned among them, consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So that place was called Taborah, because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. The rebel with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, also the cucumbers, the melons. They must have had it really good in, the, in Egypt, Right? We had stew, cucumber, fish, melons, leeks, garlic, but now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. These people became complacent with God. Like, we don't think God's hearing us enough. We're frustrated that God isn't hearing us enough. And what was manna? Manna is the very provision of God, the miraculous provision of God for a people who were hungry. It was the daily bread. It was such a, an incredible demonstration of God's provision. And what do the people of God begin to say? It's not enough. God's not hearing me. He's only giving me some manna. I want fish and cucumbers. And I've got to eat manna. God's not showing Himself the way that I thought He was supposed to show Himself. God's not revealing Himself the way that He, he uh, my mind constructed that He was going to reveal Himself. So God must not be real. He must not be listening. He must not be providing for. So let's just go back to Egypt. He's leading them to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Yet they want some leeks and cucumbers. I don't know about you, but I'm choosing milk and honey. Israelites in the wilderness, Numbers 14. Before this, Numbers 13, remember we get to this point where they've come to the promised land, to the place that God is leading them, to the place that God has told them he's going to take them. And so what does Moses do? He gets 12 spies and he sends them into the land. And what do the spies do? They find some incredible fruit. It says they had to carry like grapes on sticks between the two of them. And they come out carrying the fruit of the land. And they begin to say, hey, guys, this really is, this is all in 13, a land flowing with milk and honey. The produce is incredible. The people are great. But guess what? There's some mean people there. 
there's some giants there. And fear begins to cut in on God's race for his people. We pick it up in the next chapter. That night, all the members of the community, who did it? All the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. I just saw the largest bunch of grapes I've ever seen in my life. Like we could squeeze one grape and make a a, a, a jar of grape juice. And I'm weeping. Why? Because there's giants in the land. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord? So now it's not even just about Egypt. Now we just want to stay in the wilderness is what they're saying. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. God took them to the doorstep of the land he promised them. The report came back that there was a land that was absolutely flowing with milk and honey. But fear. Who cut in on you? You know, sometimes fear, it cuts in. Sometimes fear... We're right there on, on the precipice of the promised land, but fear begins to speak and convinces us to go back to a place of bondage. What cut in on your race? We'll continue. This one I've got to be very careful. I listened to how to pronounce this, this, this town several times online because I didn't want to screw it up this morning, because it looks like one that I could really... You think we were giggling before about the whole Back to the Future thing? While in Israel, I was staying in Shittim. The men began to indulge in sexual immorality with the Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. The people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods. So Israel yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and to the Lord's anger burned against them. What cut in on the race? The Moabite women. All of a sudden, the lust of the flesh stood in the way of the plans of God. This is the people of God. They're still in the wilderness. They're still in the wandering season, waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise And they're wrestling. They've been distracted. They've been cut in by discontent. They've been cut in on by false gods. They've been cut in on by complacency. They've been cut in on by by all these things, by, by the lust of the flesh, by the fear of man. We look back at Israel, because this continues. I'm just talking about the wilderness right now. Read the rest of the Old Testament. Judges and kings and judges to deliver them time and time again. The book of Judges, God's people, they would Israel would follow God, but then they would fall away from God. So God would appoint a judge to deliver his people, and then they would repent, and the judge would die, and the people of God would fall away from God, and he would appoint a new judge. And then it got to the place, they said, the judges weren't enough, we want a king. And even though the king wasn't what God's plan was for his people, he gave them a king, king's lead. What happens to the kingdom? The kingdom gets divided, the people of God in both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom they end up in exile time and time again 
compromising and allowing their race, God's intended plan, to be cut in for them. I tell you, we look at the books, we look at Israel, I look at the wilderness wanderings of God, and I, I think I can identify with it way more than I want to admit. It's interesting to look back at them and say, how can you 40 days after, 45 days after coming out of slavery want to go back? Or how can you 45 days or 40 days after Moses is up on the mountain start to look for other gods? Or how do you get so afraid of giants when there's giant fruit in the land? But man, Israel's story is our story. So often we let Stuff, things, people, fear, religion, complacency, cut in on the race that God has for you. I want to tell you that the steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. That's in the book of Proverbs. That's a a promise for us. The steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. Your steps are planned by God. Your path is planned by God. He's leading you on a journey to His promised land. But in the midst of the journey, time and time again, whether it's stuff, whether it's people, whether it's religion, whether it's things, whether it's fear, whether it's lust of the flesh, whether it's the the people who are around us, we allow ourselves to be cut in on that race that God has set before us. Paul's looking at the people and he's saying, why? I look at Israel and I say, guys, Moabite women are bad. Learn the lesson. Baal isn't the one to worship. But continually, cut in. In our lives today, there's people, good and bad, that cut in on the race that God intends for us. I think back, I was able to speak at a summit thing yesterday for rural ministry, and I was thinking back to a point in my life when I was wrestling with coming to Crawford. Do you want to know what people told me? You're dumb to even consider that. That's basically what people told me. And these weren't bad people, they were good people. But sometimes good people, they speak things that they think is truth in their mind, but it's not the Word of God. It's the opinions of men. And sometimes, church, sometimes us, we hear the words that come from good people and we assume they're the Word of God. We've got to use discernment for ourselves and not allow a word of a man to take the place of the plans of God. What cut in on your relationship? You know, sometimes there's stuff. There's things. My life is entering a whole new season. And there is a whole lot of stuff. Football and volleyball and track and basketball and this and that. I mean, we're learning. You guys, we're learning. Holy cow, there's stuff. I think that's appropriate for what I just preached on, to say, holy cow, there's stuff. Uh, And how many times has that stuff become an idol? Oh, wait. Ooh, don't say that. 
God's plan for my life is bigger than the stuff that comes up. His relationship with me, I love the analogy of His dance with me, is more important sometimes than the things that are around me. Sometimes it's the trials. It's hard. They were genuinely hungry and thirsty in the wilderness. It was tough. Their bodies hurt. I'm sure they had hunger pains in them when they grumbled and complained the first time. But trials can't cut in on the relationship or the race that God has set before you. Sometimes it's persecution. Sometimes it's the things of the world that hold us down. How many times is Paul's race cut into by persecution? Remember Paul? I was beaten so many times. I was shipwrecked this many times. I was falsely in prisons this many times. I was stoned almost to the point of death this many times. How many times did persecution try to interfere on the relationship of Paul with, the, with, with God's plans for his life? What did he know? I have to go. I have to be obedient. I have to take the gospel to the Gentiles. There's a world that needs to hear about Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's just our, our fleshly desires. The things that we want. The things that we have to have. The lust of our flesh that causes us to step away from the dance that God has for us. And what's so compelling to me, and I'm not saying it's the the Bible according to Back to the Future, okay? I'm just using that as an example. But I want to tell you that what's cutting in on your life doesn't just affect you, but it affects generations. If that movie, Back to the Future, stops where I stopped it, we're not watching it still today. No one wants to watch the movie where Marty McFly dissolves into nothingness because his parents didn't dance and kiss at the Enchantment of the Sea dance. But I want to tell you, church, I want to give you the warning that what's cutting in on your life today may be impacting generations to come. That's why it's important. That's why we better be serious about what's cutting in on your race. I said the movie didn't stop there. Irene, I don't know how you're doing it, but you're going to work your magic and you're going to play that second clip. And the voices are going to work. The sound is going to be... Excuse me. cut a kiss scene out of there just for the record. 
to say you have authority over that which cut in on your race. You have authority to go to back to that which is yours. Jesus Christ came that you might have a relationship with God. Jesus Christ came so that your relationship, the assurance that God will never leave you or forsake you, could be yours to hold on to. You have authority to go back to that fear and say, excuse me, get out of my way. You have authority to go back to that sin and say, excuse me, get out of my way. This is my dance. This is my moment. This is my relationship with God. It doesn't just affect me but it affects others and I'm going to take what my moment is. I'm going to do and be who God has called me to be. It's your authority to go back into that dance. told you it was good. I told you it was something we needed to hear. You know what I love? George McFly, when we met him in that movie, He was the biggest dork there is. In his bedroom reading comic books. Afraid of girls. But oh, the power. Oh, the boldness. Oh, the confidence when I know this is mine. And I'm supposed to be there. That's my kiss that's coming. You're not going to get my kiss. This morning, you guys can come forward. Good luck figuring out. No earth angel, though. I guess if you really feel like that's right, you can. It would be appropriate. This morning, I'm going to ask you a question. It's not my question, it's Paul's question. And the question I want you to be very real with yourself in right now. The question I want you to be very real with yourself today is who is cutting in on your truth? Because Paul said that which is cut in is keeping you from obeying the truth. It's keeping you from obeying the plans and purposes that God has for your life. And this morning, I'm going to encourage you, whether you want to think of a race or a dance, I don't care, but to come back and take the position that God has for you in this walk. If there's someone in the way who's not supposed to be there, if there's something in the way that's not supposed to be there, if there's a situation or a trial or a fear or a a sin, whatever it might be, for you to come back and say, no, you no longer have authority over my position with God. You no longer have a place because that's my walk. That's my dance. That's my moment. That's my eternity. That's my inheritance. That's not just for me, but for my children and their grandchildren. Someone here may be tempted to walk away just like George was 
in the first clip. You may be tempted just to leave with your shoulders down. If you say, Pastor, I just don't know how this all happens. I don't know how to do all this. As your pastor, I want to stand with you. I want you to find others that will stand with you. You might have come with someone. You might be sitting near someone who can give you the strength to stand up. They can give you the encouragement that says, hey, you can do this. You know, we don't see what happened. Be a voice spoke to George. That's your girl. You need someone to speak to today that just says you can do this. That's your authority. That's your place. That's your position. Just, just go ahead. Maybe you need someone to come with you. I want to stand with you because I don't want anyone, I don't want anyone staying in the wilderness or going back to Egypt. I don't want anyone missing out on what promise God has for you in your life. Father, this morning, know our walks and you know where our walks are going and God if we've allowed anyone if we've allowed anything if there's someone that's in our position, if there's something that's in that place that we're supposed to be, empower your people today. Empower us to look at that which cut it and say, no, That's not your place. If it's people, if it's the voices of people, if it's trials, if it's fear, if it's discontent, if it's it's religious things, false idols, stuff, trials, persecution, whatever it might be, to look at it and say, no, that's my spot. Right there with the Father. Get out of my way. That's repentance. That's acknowledging that which stands in the way of God and asking for a change of direction, a change of circumstance, a change of alignment, a change of lordship. God, I pray for a courageous people today. I pray for a people that recognize their place in the walk with you. And if anything, it's in the way. We leave today in step with you, not wandering in wilderness. God, I pray you speak to us, you guide us, you direct us. This morning, I'm going to open the altar up. If you want to come to the altar and pray, you can. If you want to pray with me, you can. If you want to do business with God, you can. We'll let His Spirit speak to you.
When I pray, God knows where you're going. I'm here. He knows the direction. And he knows if you're not in step. And I promise you show you. When you recognize, take a step. Tap him on the shoulder and say, get out of my spot. Walk with him. Just a moment, I'm going to have Pam sing out for us one more time. And I'd encourage you this morning that God wants to dance with you for a moment. So if you want to take a moment and praise God, if you want to stand up and sing to God, if you want to raise your hands to God, if you want to sit and, and just be in His presence, just take a moment for that dance. Something's always trying to cut in. George teaches us now we have authority. The Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you, grant you his peace. And may you walk. May you run. May you dance with your king. Amen? Be blessed.